Hi everyone and welcome to From the Hacks first US curling report of the 2017-2018 curling season. On today's podcast we discuss the teams in USA Curling's high performance program with coach Phil Drobnik of USA Curling. We catch up with Olympic medalist and reigning US champion John Schuster and we preview the 2017-2018 season from an American perspective with Joe Calabrese of 12th and Sports. Our first guest on this week's U.S. Curling Report is Phil Drobnik, National Team Coach for USA Curling. Phil, before we discuss the 2017-18 season, I just wanted to confirm that there have not been any major lineup changes in any of USA Curling's high-performance program teams for the 2017-18 season. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, all the teams are, are intact and, and as is uh, last season, so um, you know, they're we're we're gonna look on leaning from the leaning on the fact that uh, this will be second or third uh, for some or fourth seasons together. So uh, we're looking forward to that. And the only addition we have to the program this year on the men's and women's side is Rich Ruhinen, who is uh, was added to the Heath McCormick team as the as the fifth. I realize that lineup changes are always made with the objective of improving team dynamics and performance. However, as a coach, there must be a part of you that is happy that you will be able to work with teams that know each other very well this season, after starting last season with most of the high-performance teams having made lineup changes. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. We were really happy with uh, the team's performances last year, and uh, um, we had a number of the teams go out on the tour and play well and win events. So to be able to have that continuity um, carrying forward to the Olympic year is, is really exciting for us. What I'd like to do now is go through the six teams in USA Curling's high-performance program, reflect on their 2016-17 season, and look ahead to what they must do in 2017-18 to continue their progression. Let's start with Team Schuster on the men's side. It seemed to be a tale of two halves for Team Schuster last season, where they struggled a little in the first half of the season, then picked up the pace for the second half of the season, which included a win at the U.S. Nationals and a fourth-place finish at the Worlds. Was this a case of a veteran team pacing themselves in the lead-up to the Olympic season, or were there any other factors that led to their slow start last year? Uh, actually, um, it was uh, a lot of it had to do with injury. Um, we were battling an injury with Tyler uh, George, and uh, he was out of. Um, he didn't play in uh, a few events in or two events in um, September and October, and played injured in a couple, or not where he was 100%. So um, it was just a matter of getting the team healthy. And on the same page, if you look back uh, mid-November, they started to uh, started to click and started to play good, qualified in a slam after that, and uh, and that's really where they started their their uphill swing. Um, the, the once we got everybody healthy and and they felt that they could get that their rhythm going, they they were in a good spot. So uh, uh, really confident in the way they are going into this year. Um, still dealing with a little bit of injury. Uh, um, from Tyler, but uh, you know we're we're hoping that he's 100% when we start the season. And based on on what I saw last weekend, uh, I believe that we will be. And so um, yeah, really looking for good things from these guys. They've they've put together three really solid seasons and uh, you know are definitely the favorite going into the Olympic trials. Team McCormick had a solid start to their 2016-17 season, winning four events, but seemed to slow towards the second half of the season, specifically when they started playing in events where they faced more top-ranked teams. What are you expecting from this team in 2017-18? Being ranked 14th, they are going to get some much higher level reps than early last season, which I'm assuming is going to be good for their continued progression as a team. Yeah, I, I think that I, I know they're ready. They were a new team last year, so they started the season exactly 
um, like they needed to do. They needed to go out and beat teams that they needed to beat, and that's just what they did. They went to the Continental Cup then and and uh, and, and and won some key matches in the Continental Cup, and um, and they, they they struggled at nationals last year. You know, first nationals together as a as a team coming in as the favored um, as a new team is always a challenge, and uh, and and. The, uh, it's just a little different situation with our nationals, the way it's set up. Everybody needed them to lose. So it was kind of a, an interesting spot for them to be in. Um, they learned from that. Uh, the one thing they were able to do is learn from being in the spotlight like that and what they did wrong and what they need to change and how they can handle it better. Um, so, uh, And then they went into the last event of the season, um, the European Masters, so that where they were able to go over and play uh, the top European teams, they, they came away with a, uh, uh, they finished in the top four in that event, uh, beating uh, Murdoch, Fister, Alsrud, and Walstead, so beating some of the top uh, the top European teams. So I believe they're fully ready for this season. Um, I'm looking for some really good things from them. Uh, it'll be, they're going to be our Curling Night in America team. So starting the season off in Curling Night in America and then Oakville and then going right into the slam. So it'll be a real good test for them. And uh, it's going to help them playing these top 20 teams uh, and top 10 teams. And it's only going to make them better prepared for the uh, trials come November. Last season on From the Hack, I referred to Craig Brown and his team as a little train that could. They qualified in nine of their 12 events last season, but only made one final. What do they need to do to get over that hump and close the deal a little more consistently? I'd agree with the analogy, certainly, and uh, I, I actually had the opportunity to work with Craig uh, uh, two seasons ago for two seasons in a row, and the team is very solid and very steady, and they know how to win. Um, there's, uh, as stated, their struggles have been have come on Sunday when they've had to uh, when they've had to actually close the deal and win a championship. They've been working hard on that all summer and and making some changes so that they can you know menti- mentally and physically so that they're prepared come for the trials to to close the deal um, if they can uh, get themselves in a spot where they're in the best of three finals. So you know Craig's a, a veteran skip, great shooter, and 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 and, and brings a lot to the game. So uh, you know he's got he, he's got a, a the core team. They've been together uh, three of the four of them for going on three. This is their fourth year together with uh, with Sean and Croy. So, um, you know, they, I look for good things for them. They're working hard uh, mentally, and that's that's where they need to get stronger on Sundays. So, if they can can carry that forward to the trials, there there's no reason why they can't come out and win the Olympic trials. Switching over to the women's side now, Jamie Sinclair had a new lineup last season. Her team started a little slowly, but played well most of the year, winning the U.S. championships, and they also played well in both the Continental Cup and in the season-ending Champions Cup Grand Slam where they made the playoffs. What did you like most about their team progression last season, and what do they need to focus on or work on to continue that progression this season? Coming into the year, they were a new team and and, uh, trying to get the, the new dynamics down. Uh, Alex was new to the program and uh, really worked hard uh, to get herself in a spot where she, where she was ready to play at that high level. And that team really uh, has worked hard because they lived together. So the, the four of them 
The four of them live in the same city, you know, which is unique in USA Curling. They've committed to practicing every day together to work on their team systems um, and just to continue to make that, that, that strong bond together as a team, which I believe is only going to help them going into this, this next season. They had a great year uh, in terms of being able to uh, win the national championship and have a good slam. The key for them this season is going to be uh, being able to be mentally strong throughout the season. They're going to be playing a tough schedule, and uh, they're going to have to uh, keep battling uh, the whole all fall so that they're ready. Um, it seemed like in their midseason drop last year, they started to struggle a little bit, and it just took them a little bit to get out of that. So that'll be uh, that to, to stay mentally strong will be their their biggest uh, biggest key. Team Roth had a good season, culminating in a solid performance in finishing fifth at the World Championships. In fact, only a bad end or two kept them out of the playoffs at the Worlds. Is that something that can stick with a team like this? Will they use it as additional motivation? Or did they simply sweep it under the rug and moved on once they left China? This team uh, solidified the uh, Olympic spot for the for the U.S., which was, was huge for them, a huge confidence builder for them. They had a couple of hiccups at the, at the um, Worlds, but they still finished fifth. So I think that was a confidence uh, booster for them to be able to know that we, we had some of these issues and we still finished fifth. So uh, they've been working hard this summer, watching a lot of game film, and, uh, and, and, and learning from, from what went wrong at the, uh, at the 2017 World Championships. And, um, you know, there, there's a few key things for them uh, making, uh, I would say, the, the, the biggest thing for them moving forward is going to be making the right strategic calls and putting themselves in position to win games. If they can learn from the, the mistakes that they had at the World Championship, uh, you know, they're, they're going. There's no doubt that this team is going to probably forge their way into a top ten team uh, on the World Curling Tour uh, by the end of the season. As for Team Christensen, they started last season ranked 26 and will start this season ranked 37th. I realize that with young teams making their first strides on the World Curling Tour, that it's important not to overemphasize rankings. But from an in-game performance point of view, how satisfied was USA Curling with this team's progression last season? I get a I get a unique perspective on this one as as I've been uh, overseeing this team since uh, February since the nationals and uh, yeah last year they they were the their freshman year coming out on the tour as their first year as on the ladies tour um, trying to 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 get into it uh, um, and 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 find their feet and find their rhythm on the on the ladies tour they they had a, a few struggles early on and and just getting themselves going um didn't have a great nationals they had some really good events where they where they played really good against some top teams and uh and again kind of the same same case as Jamie uh, where they they dropped some games that they certainly shouldn't have especially at nationals this since the end of the season they've been working hard really hard uh together there there's three of them living in in Blaine they've been on the ice all summer they're working hard mentally they're working hard physically, and uh, there's no doubt that they will be prepared for this season. They know what's ahead of them, you know. And we've talked a couple different times that their their goal, obviously, is being the, the you know 22 years old was the was the 22 2022 Olympics, and uh, now they've been been handed this opportunity for the uh, 2018 Games, and they have worked their butts off this. Uh, this summer to get themselves prepared for the Olympic trials. So, you know, they, they've got a tough schedule uh, coming coming forward here in the, the fall. So uh, I'm, I'm looking for them to be 
very prepared going into the Olympic trials. They will probably be going in uh, looked at as the third seed, definitely. But um, I wouldn't be. Uh, they may they may surprise some people. Uh, when they get there in uh, November. One of the challenges heading into the Olympic season is that everyone seems to have one date circled on their calendars, and that's the date when the Olympic trials start. However, there are a number of other important events to play prior to the trials. What have you and the other USA curling coaches done to ensure that your teams do not develop tunnel vision when it comes to the trials at the expense of the other events in the early part of the season? What I've done uh, in, in particular, and I know the other coaches have done it as well, is to really focus on on, on what we're going to be, what we, where we need to be in the trials, and and what we're going to be focusing on at each event. This year, the one bonus is uh, that it, they don't. There's not the pressure there to be getting all these points or to be getting. You know, you have to do well. So that way, you can look at an event and say, this this week we're really going to focus on our on on our tactics, or this week we're really going to focus on our team systems, and um, and it doesn't have to be so finish based um you know the teams uh, as i had said with with heath mccormick's team you know they've got curling night in america and then they've got oakville and uh, really prepping themselves to come into their which would be their second slam as a as a team so you know they'll have played a couple events and and you know we're, we really circled that event as where we were you know a challenge for them and they want to be come out and be ready to play as as well as you know john's team this is uh It'll be a, a normal season for them. They've been this is two two or three going on the third year where they've been in slams. They played the top teams. They've been continuing to do it. So it's more about getting them to peak at the right time. They're all taking the weekend off before the trials, um, so that way they can get some practice ice. Um, all the teams have scheduled the practice weekend in, so we're not they're not really where they have to play every single weekend to get points and and things like that so uh we've scheduled for the christensen and mccormick team uh a europe trip in uh in september we want to get them both of those teams being younger teams or having younger athletes on them we want them to get an opportunity to play against the europeans um, because if they end up winning uh the trials we want them to have played European teams, other than maybe for the first time in the Olympics, so that was uh, that was a key in setting that up uh, in their schedule. And finally, Coach Phil, what type of expectations does USA Curling have headed into this Olympic year? Is it podium or bust, or is the goal to ensure that whoever wins the Olympic trials is in peak condition heading into Pyeongchang, and hopefully that's good enough for a podium finish? Uh, you know, obviously our goal is to have the, whatever team wins the trials to be the best prepared team at the Olympic Games in, 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 in um, Korea. We've worked hard since 20, uh, a- after 2014, starting in the 2014-2015 season, we've worked hard to change things in USA Curling, and we've made some drastic changes to, to ensure that the teams that go to the Olympics are prepared. They're prepared international to play international competition. They're prepared to play under the high level of pressure that you have at the Olympics. They're prepared to deal with media. They're prepared to deal with uh, living in a village for for 28 days. So um, the number one goal is to ensure that we have the best prepared team going there. The number two goal is is to get on the podium. Um, you know, we've worked in general USA curling, including mixed doubles. Uh, men's and women's, we've we've gotten uh, in the last two years. We had the the bronze in the mixed doubles, and we had the uh, um, the bronze on the men's side. We've had a, a fourth, a fifth, uh, also a fourth and a fifth place finish on the men's side, and then the fifth place finish on the women's side. So 
we are definitely ready to break through and and get a team on the podium. You know, as as a big picture, I would say uh, the goal would be definitely to get a team. Um, one of the three teams, as we're, I think, one of three countries that are qualified for all three disciplines at the Olympics uh, on the medal stand, and, you know, it would really be great to get more than that as well. Our thanks to Coach Drobnik for joining us and providing his insight into the top American curling teams heading into the 2017-18 curling season. Our next guest this week is 2006 Olympic bronze medalist and reigning U.S. champion John Schuster. John was kind enough to join us while on a business trip earlier this month. John, your team had a solid end to the 2016-2017 season, including a fourth-place finish at the World Championships. How would you summarize your team's 2016-2017 season, and what are some of the things that your team is looking to improve on this season? Uh, you know, last season was uh, was definitely probably the most interesting season of my career. You know, we, we were coming off our bronze medal finish at the World the year before. Um, really thought like, we had a lot of momentum. And, you know, we had such a Champions Cup ended the, on May 1st the year before, and then we had a camp in June, and, you know, we had a lot of life changes happening. Uh, you know, John got married, and Matt bought a house and got a dog, and um, and we really struggled to come out of the gates last year. Tyler had an injury that happened kind of right away as the season started, and uh, and our season really did, didn't definitely didn't start where we were, you know, hoping and expecting it to start. As, as the season went on, and, and Tyler got healthy, and, um, everybody kind of got all their ducks in a row from their their new life changes. Our uh, our team finally started rolling, and we actually thought it was too late. You know, we went to the nationals and and had uh, Team McCormick finish in the top three. You know, we could go, we could do what we did and go undefeated and win the nationals, and we weren't going to the world championships. But uh, you know, fortunately for us, um, you know, we went to the nationals, did what we could do, and and it so happened that they finished outside of the top three and and allowed us to get back to the world for years or goal to get to the world championships and then try to get on top of that podium. It's been an extremely disappointing year, uh, being as all of the struggles happened in the first half of the year, it's turned into an extremely successful year. You know, qualified at the at the Slam in January, and and then won our nationals undefeated, and and then went to the Worlds and had that great run that you know just came up a little bit short, but made it to the to the medal round. And uh, and we've had a great summer um, following following up on the on the World Championships. But I I definitely don't see like the personal like burnout that we struggled to start the last season, so I'm really excited. One of the concerns surrounding your team last year was an injury to your third, Tyler George. Can you briefly discuss how his injury impacted your season and whether or not he's fully recovered? Yeah, you know, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where, where he had a, at the beginning of the season was a knee issue, and that is 100%. He, he was 100% through November, and if you actually, you know, track our staff, um, it's pretty evident to see when he was out. Um, when he got healthy, he's one of the, I mean, he's, he's one of the top, top vices in the world, you know, not just with mind and, and body, but, but throwing the rock. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it still happened that, you know, at, even at the World Championships last year, he slipped wrong in his back because it, at one point during the week, and uh, and we, you know, had to had to work through getting him ready to play, but he was able to still get on the ice. And um, this summer we've been working really hard through our strength and conditioning and, uh, and for him a lot of physical therapy. And, and I, think, I think people will see when we start the season we're going to be, um, as a team, as strong as we've ever been physically. I know that there are a number of good men's teams in the U.S., but did the year that Tim McCormick have in their first year together serve as perhaps a wake-up call for you and the team, especially after they defeated you on a couple of occasions on their way to four early season titles? Um, we know that we have a, a core of, of elite players in our country that are all capable of coming out, and if you don't play to the top of your game, that they're going to beat you. And, you know, I, I mean, that's kind of where we found ourselves. We played Tim McCormick in the finals of, uh, of Duluth and Evelyn, and um, and came out in both those games and managed to win and, and and didn't win those games. But you know that that they're one of those teams that if you're even 
you're, you're even not quite having an A game. You can have an A minus game, and those guys can come on and beat you. And I, I think we're seeing more of that in our country over the last um, three or four years. You know, when you go to when you go play in Canada in the Slam, you go out, and, you know, at a, at a Grand Slam, and you have a B game, and you get, you know, pretty kind of blown off the sheet sometimes. And we're seeing now that that U.S. teams those capabilities. Well, you know, we had a deal of success um, against the U.S. teams the first two years that we had played together, and and I think last year definitely um, was proving that the strength of uh, our competitors in our country is getting stronger, and it definitely definitely has pushed you know to to work harder in in the areas that we you know, saw that we could work harder in to improve. In an interview I recently heard with Brad Jacobs, he mentioned that his team is making a point of not focusing on the Olympic trials until a week or two before the Canadian trials, feeling that it is more important to focus on the event at hand than an event that is still a few months away. As someone who has been through the trials process in the U.S. on a few occasions now, do you think it's possible for teams, after four years of build-up, to put the trials out of their heads and focus on the other events that happen ahead of the trials? You know, I think that's an important, uh, an important thing that you touched on. I mean, the the trials from the time we started playing together and had our first success as a team three years ago. You have it circled on your calendar, the trials. But the, the most important thing for us that we that we think about is we take one event and one game and one shot at a time. And I and and last year I think was a great testament. We sat down in Arizona and and that was our last chance to accumulate points before the nationals. And knew that our finish in Arizona made it so we didn't control our own destiny. And we could have let that hang over and hang over our heads and be like, okay, you know, now what? But what what we did instead is we focused on what we could control. And I think our team does a great job of of staying in the moment and focusing on what you can control, and that's your performance on the ice. And uh, you know, we were able to come out and do something special last year at nationals, focusing on what we could control. You know, the the first we played six events leading into the Olympic trials, and I think the those six events we're going to take them each individually and try to you know take from them. You know the the lessons we can learn in games and about ourselves. We're always thinking about the trials, but you try to, you know, not not think too big a picture. You got to kind of keep it one game and one event, one shot at a time. Does the fact that you've had several positive experiences and results at the Olympic trials take some of the stress and pressure off as you head into this season, or is the fact that you've been to the Olympics and you know what it feels like to get there only enhance the pressure and eagerness to get back? You know, I, I think a little bit of both. You know, I, my my teams, I've always tried to use my Olympic experience to help in my Olympic trials experiences to to kind of guide my teammates, you know, have their best performance. I'm getting excited, you know, for our team to perform at the Olympic trials. So I, I think that the success coming at the trials, you know, is, is one of those things that will, you know, help empower us um, to be successful. Truthfully, you know, John Lansiner's curled one Olympic trials as my teammate. We won the Olympic trials. Tyler's curled in um, I think he's now been taking part in in two Olympic trials, and and he's the was the skip of the team that we beat to go to the Olympics in 2010. So, you know, and and they were the team that was the number one team. You know, they beat us in the page one two game, and we happened to beat them in the finals. So, um, you know, his experience through the Olympic trials process is also, I think, is is going to be a comforting factor where we're just going to go out and you know take care of business. You've had some success at the Olympics, winning a bronze medal in 2006 with Pete Fenson, but it's been a little bit more of a struggle the last two times you've been there. Obviously, every team wants to make it to the Olympics, but is there part of you that is extra motivated to make it back there and show what this current lineup can do and how well they can compete when they are playing well? You know, I don't know if that's extra motivation. I think that um, I, I learned, I, I've learned a lot of lessons at the, at the last Olympics. You know, we've, won, we've done a lot of with a sports psychologist. You know, I, I, I think I'm a really good player personally from a mental standpoint to, to go and, and have, a, have a successful Olympics. 
and to and to not repeat things that you know prior to 2014 for example you know we won the olympic trials and we actually still had to go to the olympic qualifying event to even get into the olympics and traveled to germany for 10 days and and made it and qualified our country and ourselves for the olympics you know then came home and then went back to europe for another week and then came home and went to vegas for another week um and by the time we got to sochi you know we were in germany for a week leading into sochi our our team had traveled i think too much and uh you know, those are that's one of the lessons I know. So you know, our team happens to win the Olympic trials. I know how important that period from the trials to the Olympics is going to be to make sure that our team arrives in um, in Pyeongchang fresh and uh, and not burnt out. And I think the fact that you know we've qualified our our country for the Olympics prior to the trials is is an important thing for any team that would go to the Olympics. I think using the experiences that we've had of the both the, knowing the success and and knowing the shortfalls will be important to getting back there, but. The one thing I have learned since I've had children in the last four years is I, I compete for, for myself and for my teammates, and I don't necessarily take a lot of stake in, in what other people think or don't think or or, or see me as past, future, current. Um, you know, I've learned enough to play for myself and my teammates and, and think about my family, and, and that that change has, has really opened up for me the last three years to I have the success and I think make the, make the turn and, and becoming a, instead of being a team that could compete with the top teams and actually becoming a top team in the world. I, I'm, I'm more excited for every curling season to come over the last three years, and I you know, plan on that being the case, you know, looking forward past that. How exciting would it be for you and the team to represent the United States at the World Men's Championships this year, seeing that it's located on home soil in Las Vegas? You know, I was fortunate enough to represent the United States at the World Championships in uh, 2006 following the Olympics in Lowell, Massachusetts. And to this day, it's one of the more special things you get to do. And I, I mean, we're we're definitely envious of Canadians that have that opportunity every other year to go there and be and be the home team. Granted, I know in Las Vegas the Canadians probably will still be the home team like they are when we're at Continental Cup. That there's you know three out of four people in the stands are Canadians. However, I think any any time you get a chance to represent your country at home soil uh, is is truly special. What would be a satisfying season for Team Schuster during this, the 2017-2018 curling season? Um, you know, I, I think the satisfying for, for Team Schuster this year is is definitely is winning the Olympic trials and going to the Olympics and having peak performance. We believe that that peak performance puts us on the podium. And uh, I could say podium or bust, but, you know, if, if we go to the Olympics and put our A game out there and it doesn't happen to land on the medal stands, I think it's something that we can you know, we'll always be able to be proud of. But um, we do believe that the, the work we put in and the team we've worked to become over the last three years put us up there. Our thanks to John Schuster for joining us on this episode of the U.S. Curling Report. <laughs> Our final guest on this week's U.S. Curling Report is Joe Calabrese, the CEO of the 1210 Sports Network, best known for its streaming of the U.S. Nationals and other curling events in the U.S. and beyond. Joe, as we look ahead to the 2017-18 curling season, which of the top American teams do you believe will carry over the most confidence from last season? You know, uh, Frank, on the men's side, I think the team that enters the season with the most confidence is, on the, is probably Team Schuster. They won nationals in a very convincing, undefeated fashion. During the entire event, they only gave a score of three just twice. And... Uh, they're extremely good at limiting the amount of damage their opponents do while they take the appropriate amount of risk when they have the hammer. So I think they have a lot of confidence in John as a last stone thrower and the sweeping combination of Landsteiner and Hamilton are really second to none in the U.S. game. 
on the women's side, uh, Jamie Sinclair's rank won nationals back in February, and as a result, they also got to play in the Champions Cup. Uh, and in that event, they qualified for the playoffs for the first time in a slam, reaching the quarterfinals uh, because uh, Sinclair made a, a terrific uh, shot in a tiebreaker game on her last shot. Uh, if you combine those two things, and the, the team probably has the most confidence going into the season. The team's going to be playing in curling at America, too, so that's going to give them some additional exposure to some international teams going into the season. In your opinion, which American teams are coming into the 2017-2018 season with the most approved? You know, on the men's side, I think that all four teams that are in the Olympic trials have something to prove. So you know, we talked a lot about how Schuster has a lot of confidence into the season, but he's also represented the men's uh, team at the Olympics in the last two cycles, and their results have been less than they've hoped for. So a return to the Olympics and a medal would prove that they those were just bad weeks for a skip uh, who could really be argued as the dominant player in U.S. curling over the last decade. Looking at some of those other men's teams, uh, McCormick, Keith McCormick, uh, actually had a higher order of merit ranking than Schuster during last season and is currently the top-ranked U.S. team. However, his last two nationals have been pretty disappointing. And uh, so it, nationals are an event that most pay attention to in non-Olympic years here in the U.S. So he can change uh, the narrative by qualifying for the Olympics. There's uh, little doubt that Craig Brown belongs in the HPP program. He's a talented skip with a perfect demeanor for the game. But he hasn't won nationals since 2008, so that's a long time, and I'm sure he's doesn't need to be reminded of that. Uh, he's steady and consistent, but, I'm, but can his team really top the others at the trials? And uh, one team that's been trying to prove something for the last two years is Team Brady-Clark. They're outside the USA's high-performance program, and the team won nationals in 2016, which is the most obvious reason why they were chosen for the Olympic trials. The team has done it all on their own without the same resources as funded teams. Winning the trials can prove to them that a team outside the system can still succeed and represent the country at a world uh, level. On the women's side, there's really only Sinclair, Roth, and Christensen to choose from. And they're all high-performance teams with young players, but not a ton of international-level experience. I'd say the one with the most to prove is Team Christensen. The team is significantly lower ranked than the, in the order of merit than the other teams and should be considered a live long shot in the Olympic trials. While they didn't qualify the, for the playoffs last February at Nationals, two of their four wins came against Sinclair and Roth. 2016-17 was a season of transition for many of the top American teams, with many players getting used to new teammates. Did anything happen this offseason that might impact any of these high-performance teams as they look to continue their progression leading into the World Curling Tour schedule and the Olympic trials? One thing that's happened over the summer is that Rich Runin has been picked up by Heath McCormick's team. Rich had a terrific Nationals this past February, and I could see him getting inserted into the lineup in different spots as needed. He can play pretty much any position, uh, but I think he really excels at the vice level where he can sort of be the catalyst, uh, somebody who can kind of translate uh, what a lot of people think is he very aggressive style of play with a maybe more defensive-minded uh, style that he was used to when he was playing with Team Burr last year. Now, over the past few years, there's been an increase in the number of World Curling Tour events held in the U.S. What are some of the key American-based bond spiels scheduled for this season? So uh, I think there are a couple factors that have changed the U.S. bond spiel landscape over the last few years. The first is the points chase that helps teams get into U.S. nationals and helps them become national, become eligible for world-level events. So there are some spiels that have emerged in an attempt to make these uh, events earn more points uh, in the United States. And the two that I can think of right off the bat are the U.S. Open at the Four Seasons Curling Club in Blaine and the Golden Wrench in Tempe, Arizona. 
These events have been positioned in a way to attract top-level Canadian teams. I already see Mike McEwen registered for Arizona, so I su suspect that that event, which has uh, had a number of uh, Canadian teams come down uh, in January, be filled with a, a great field. And the U.S. Open has had a traditionally good field each year. Uh, both these events happen early in January, and they're really positioned well to change the points race late in the season in the U.S. The other thing that I think has happened that I think has been a side effect of the these new nationals and world selection processes in the United States is the emergence of a lower-level U.S.-based cash spiel. These events, I believe, they have lower cash payouts, are designed to attract tweener-type teams. I expect teams like Brandon Corbett, who have been involved in a couple national championships, to play in these types of events against teams of regional entries that either are testing new teams or emerging teams from players whose games have outgrown their local leagues. Uh, so there's events in Kalamazoo, Lakeville, Minnesota, Fort Wayne, Indiana, and Bowling Green, Ohio. And all these events are on the World Curling Tour website uh, and could be described this way. I think it's a really good sign for U.S. curling. If these events succeed, I, I mean, it will mean that there's going to be a place for these teams to develop before competing at higher-level events. This is an important season for the sport of curling in the U.S. Not only will the sport and clubs around the country get the usual boost from curling being on national TV during the Olympic Games, but the U.S. is also hosting the 2018 Men's World Championships in Las Vegas. I'm assuming that there is already a buzz in the U.S. curling community about the worlds being in Vegas and the impact that this event and, of course, the Olympic trials and the Games in Pyeongchang could have on the sport throughout the U.S. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Las Vegas has hosted a couple Continental Cups and have been very well attended. So uh, hosting the World Championships there seems like a no-brainer uh, in terms of uh, a location in the U.S. Uh, it's, it's done very well, and I can see that succeeding in the future. Um, you know, I really think that the U.S. has done a really good job of gathering media momentum for curling going into this important Olympic year. Uh, since the last Olympic cycle, Curling Night in America has been the staple of the NBC Sports Network. There's been events on ESPN3, which sort of hosts all of the TSN uh, events down here in the States. And there's been hours of TV coverage of Curling Night in America and the World Championships this past season that have put uh, curling on the U.S. TV more than ever before, not to mention the award-winning streaming coverage of U.S. Nationals that uh, we at TESN put together for the USCA. Uh, but this all leads up to the Olympic trials, which are very conveniently placed towards the beginning of the traditional curling season this November. I've always believed that the U.S. Uh, curling needs a high exposure event early in the year so that all the interest can be capitalized on while ice is actually in place at local curling clubs. Uh, if the uh, In the U.S., curling clubs should expect a surge in membership following an Olympic year. But, uh, you know, I think that there are going to be a lot more uh, inquiries earlier this year because of the trials. We have about 20,000 total members here in the U.S., uh, but we're seeing a really good construction trend when it comes to curling clubs. We're seeing a lot of arena clubs become dedicated clubs, which I think is a great sign for steady growth. There's about 170 clubs in 43 states in the U.S., and I know of a lot of clubs that have been created since the last Olympic cycle, clubs in Connecticut, Florida, Georgia, Massachusetts, New York City, Delaware, Buffalo, Montana, South Carolina, Michigan, um, in Minnesota, and some of those you know, curling hotbeds, and then uh, also in Colorado and Oregon and Utah. It's, it's really exciting. But TV exposure isn't going to mean that much to growth if there aren't places for people to play in their own backyard. So all this, this uh, growth means more sheets, more availability to people in the U.S. I think that's a great thing. 
And I expect those uh, numbers to surge by the time the World Championships happen. And uh, if we have the same type of TV exposure that we had last year, I, I suspect that we will after the Olympics. And the U.S. Nationals have kind of stoked the flames. I think if a U.S. team happens to capture the fancy uh, of the of people at the Olympics and wins a medal, uh, I, I would look out. I think that curling has a chance to be a pretty big thing here. You know, I don't know if you noticed uh, ESPN started throwing throwing some obscure sports out there uh, over the past uh, couple of days. Uh, ESPN eight the Ocho, uh, sort of a dodgeball reference. Uh, I think that uh, curling could get uh, some exposure on some channels that we maybe hadn't seen before, and I think that's an exciting thing. And finally, Joe, before we went on air, you were describing an event you have planned at your home club in Rochester, New York. One of the new features on From the Hack this season will focus on the business of curling, and we will certainly be exploring different ideas that clubs around the world have had to help grow their membership and, of course, generate revenue. The event you mentioned sounded interesting, and I was wondering if you could tell our audience a little bit more about it. In April of 2018, it's it's called Curling the Gathering Bondspiel. It's it's uh, April 15th to I'm sorry, April 13th to 15th. It's it's curling with a twist. Uh, all the com- the teams can bid on what are called power up cards that can hamper or hurt. Your uh, your opponent's ability to win, or enhance your own ability to win, and. Uh, so, for example, uh, if you wanted to, you could bid on a card that can give you a ninth stone and an end. Or maybe you can play a card that can make your, your opponent throw all out turns for an entire end. Things like that. And all this is going to go to benefit the Urban League of Rochester. And uh, so you could look for the information soon on www.rochestercurling.org. We're expecting a field of 16 teams, and it's going to be a blast. My thanks to Joe Calabrese of the 1210 Sports Network for joining me today. You can expect Joe to make a few appearances throughout the 2017-18 season on From the Hack to discuss U.S. curling. And that does it for this season's first U.S. Curling Report. My thanks to Phil Drobnik, John Schuster, and Joe Calabrese for joining me. A reminder to follow us on Twitter, at FromTheHack, and to subscribe to the From the Hack podcast on iTunes. I'm Frank Rock. Thanks for joining us for this U.S. Curling Report. Thank you.